0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. It's been told the Reverend Billy Graham, he tells a story early in his career when he arrived in a small town to preach a sermon. Waiting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy where the post office was. And when the boy had told him, Dr. Graham thanked him and said, If you'll come to the Baptist church this evening, you can hear me tell everyone how to get to heaven. The little boy looks at him and says, I don't think I'll be there. He says, you don't even know your way to the post office. If we were to make our way to John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, we discover something amazing. It was John the baptizer, not to be mistaken for John the apostle. The apostle John writes the book of John, but he's also writing about John the baptizer. And John the baptizer writes in verse 21, he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God... Who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Now, this is, if you will, a very profound statement in which all Jewish, if most, if not all Jewish, people would understand. Now, look at me for just a moment. You can picture the scene. John the Baptizer is watching. He's seeing Jesus come to him and he says, Hey, he says, look, 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 look. That's what the word behold means. hey, hey, hey! He says, Behold. This is the Lamb of God. And everybody would go, Oh, why? Well, it's very, very, very profound. He says, behold, listen, look, the Lamb of God. And he says something very interesting. You need to grasp it in your text. He says, who takes away, not just covers, takes away the sin, singular, of the world. Now, What I want to share with you this morning is found actually in the last three verses in Isaiah 52 in all of chapter 53. But in order to understand what John the baptizer was saying, we need to understand what the Lamb of God meant to those in the Old Testament. You see, the New Testament saints would look at the Old Testament, understand it, and when John makes this statement, they would all go, wow, they understood it. Well, 2,000 years removed, when John makes that statement to you and I, well, we might go, hmm, oh, oh, oh okay, they'll oh, help me out here. And so, again, think about this. Think about this. He says, man, behold, The Lamb of God. So what did it mean to the Old Testament saints? What did it mean to those who were walking and being disciples of John the Baptizer? Well, let me ask you a question, church. When you think of the Lamb of God, what do you picture? And you go, hmm if you're really like most being honest in church, you might picture a cute little lamb, kind of like a pet <laughs> behind, behold the lamb, here's the lamb, look at how look at how cute my lamb. i was just like my that's what we might and some of you might Oh no Ben, I don't I don't really picture anything at all. I don't know what he's talking about. And maybe we don't fully understand. Maybe we don't fully understand. What John meant when he said, and he looked at Jesus and he proclaimed this statement. Maybe we just like I, I don't get it. So I've decided this morning we need to dive in and see what he meant with this unbelievable account of when he looked at Joshua at Jesus and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." The world. Now, before we jump into our text, I need to give you some background because you need to fully understand. If you are new to Calvary, what you need to understand is we are a Bible teaching church. We're going to teach the Bible. I would love to sit here and preach and preach and preach and jump up and hallelujah and, and pretend that I have phlegm in my throat and ah, go you know all that stuff, but that's not who we are. We're a Bible teaching church. And so part of that is very academic. You have to go and you have to go, okay, how, do, how does this all fit into me? Because I can easily make the statement and go, behold the Lamb of God. And I mean, and, and could, I could preach for 45 minutes on that, but, but I need to give you some background. I need it. Now, again, background always set the stage. Okay, so you walk out of here, fully understand what John the baptizer meant when he said, behold the Lamb of God. You go, I get it, I get it. You see, the goal for us this morning, church, is not to walk out and go, Pastor Ben was funny, ha, 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 a He said a funny joke or wow, but to walk out and go, wow, Jesus. That's the goal. To think about it all week, oh, wow, I... I really like the sermon not because of how pastor ben delivered it but because how good god is and so in order to understand what he meant i need to take you to a couple of references you go what are they well first and foremost hold your finger here i'm going to make you turn again sorry i want you to go over to exodus chapter 12 exodus you can say goodbye to john for a moment but go over to exodus okay exodus is the second book in the bible you have genesis exodus chapter 12 and why do i want you to go there because i want you to see that and there's nothing more refreshing to a pastor than to hear the pages turn in the bible when he says turn in your bibles why because that tells me that you are students of the word and that you're hungry not only that you're not taking what i say at 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 your god i want to know what he says. i want to see what he says he can't just make up stuff right Anybody? Right? <laughs> Jesse Partida sent me a, a thing on Facebook and, he, and it was about a pastor who said, "Hey, I got homework for you. I want you all to read John or Mark chapter 17 next week. Bring it back, I'm going to ask you." And the church came back. He goes, "How many of you read John Mark 17?" And everybody raised their hand. And he goes, "Really? You're lying because there is no Mark 17." <laughs> so you need to know what's in the word. Exodus chapter 12. We're going to look at just a couple of verses real quick. Because I want to show you. This is, um, this is where the Passover lamb was um, instituted. This is the Passover. This chapter gives an account of one of the most memorable ordinances. And one of the most memorable providences of all recorded in the Old Testament. Go with me. Exodus 12. Picking it up in verse 5. The writer says. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day at the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentils and the houses where they eat it. Your attention please. Every one of us probably in this room has seen the Ten Commandments. And we've seen it where he went by and Joshua writes that and, and they're screaming and all that. But this really was instituted. They needed to take the blood of the lamb and put it so they would be saved. This is what happens. Now listen carefully. None of all the ordinances in the Jewish culture were more eminent than that of the Passover and this amazing event. Because it serves us beautifully as this wonderful illustration of the redemption Christ accomplished at Calvary's cross. You go, wow, how so? Well, I want you to notice as Paul writes concerning this event, just listen up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, I'm reading from the Good News Bible. It says, "You must remove the old yeast of sin so that you will be entirely pure." Paul writes, "Then you will be like a new batch of dough with a new batch of dough without any yeast as intended, I know you actually are. For the Passover festival is ready, now that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed, so he's talking about the Passover Lamb. Who is the Passover Lamb? Christ. Okay, you're going. Okay, so how do we become pure? Oh, oh, oh I got it. I got it. Oh, good works. Good. I'll, I'll do good works. I'll. Oh, I. Okay, let's go. I'll feed the hungry. I'll give money to the poor. I'll buy socks to those who need them. No, no, no. The reason, the way we become poor, is really simple. We become poor by what? by putting our faith and trust in the sacrificial lamb of God. You're like, okay. Okay. Now, that should honestly is the gospel and should help you sleep at night. It should help you sleep at night. Why? Because there's nothing we can do works-wise to earn our salvation. There's nothing. It's all him. And putting in your faith and trust. Yeah, pastor, but I still struggle. I've still messed up. I still have thoughts. I still... Oh, we're we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about a little bit, a little bit deeper. Okay, come back to Exodus. Come back to Exodus. We noticed in Exodus that Jesus Christ fulfilled every detail of the Passover lamb. Every detail. Every one of John, everyone who John was talking to would know what? He'd know Exodus. Every Jewish boy would memorize the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, by the time they were 12, they would know. They would know Exodus chapter 12. They would see. And so when John goes, hey, (laughs) behold, the Lamb of God, everybody went, what? And here's why. Here's why. How did Jesus fulfill every one of those? Well, in verse 5, it says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it. That, That was the prerequisite. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, jot this down, says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers. So how were we redeemed? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish or spot. In our world today, you'll hear many people say, well, Jesus was just a man. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good prophet. He did many good things. In in the war that we are seeing in the news today, the Arabs and Islamic and all of that believe in Jesus, but that he was a good man. Here, Exodus tells us that Yahshua is what? He was fully God and fully man, and he was without blemish and without spot. In Exodus, it says, well, the lamb had to be killed. In verse 6, it says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall, what, kill it at twilight. This is fulfilled in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, listen, it says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard him said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran out and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on the reed, and offered it to him to drink. And the rest said, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus fulfilled that very prophetic statement. It also says that the blood had to be applied. In verse 7, And they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts and the lentil of the houses where, where they eat it. Hebrews 9.22 says this, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That's fulfilled. This is the Passover lamb. In Exodus, guys, was pointing. Now, Here's what you'll find. In some churches, not all, in some churches, they say we're New Covenant people. We don't teach the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament is all about Christ. And it points to... Now, okay, jot this down. That's going to help you, okay? The Old Testament points to the cross. The New Testament points back to the cross. It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. Now, another... W- we will. Well, another reference, you can jot this down. We're not going to talk about it, but it would be Leviticus chapter 16. This is known as the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. And this was instituted of the yearly Day of Atonement for the whole nation. You go, what would happen on the Day of Atonement? Well, the whole service was committed to the high priest, right? Who, first and foremost, guys, was the only one to come into the Holy of Holies, he is the only one to offer a goat or a bull for sin offering. He would then take and sprinkle the blood before the mercy seat and upon the altar. He would to confess, if you will, over the scapegoat, the sins of the people, and send it into the wilderness to offer burnt offerings and to point this day a solemn fast by a statue forever. This is how they dealt with sins in the Old Testament. They would take two lambs, okay, One of them, they would sacrifice. Then they would put their hand, that's why we get the term scapegoat. They'd put the hand on the goat. He would confess all of Israel's sin, and then he'd go, "Ah, ah, ah," and they'd run off into the wilderness, atoning for the sin. But it wouldn't take it away. Can you imagine on the Day of Atonement? Bless the Lord, this is good, I'm clean, I'm clean. And then you walk into your house, and and you get in a fight with your wife. Ah, I was clean for five minutes. Now I have to wait a whole nother year for my sins to be atoned for. Or you get in a fight with your husband. Or you run over a cat. No, I'm just kidding. You don't run over a cat. You just, you know, something. The sacrificial system, now listen, was designed once a year for the sin of Israel, for the sins to be uh, basically atoned for. Only to to be forgiven if you will once a year come to and, and for the sins of Israel. Now, here's what you need to understand. When anybody looked at the sacrificial system, you knew that it wasn't going to hold water. There had to be a better way. Therefore, when John said, behold, the Lamb of God, you go, okay, cool. Atonement? No, 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 no. Who takes away that's the key takes away yeah he he takes away and that would be the day that we all rejoice so you have two references you have john you have two references old testament but now that is our background coming to isaiah 52 now here's what i want you to do if you're taking notes the study today deals with two specific points two you go what are they first we're going to see the sacrifice of the lamb the sacrifice of the lamb, and then the second point is the satisfaction of the lamb. So these are the two points you'll see. But since we're a Bible teaching church, there are four subpoints concerning the lamb, Jesus Christ, four. You're going to see the preeminence of the servant, the preeminence. We're going to see the person of the servant. Isaiah is going to describe him. We're going to see the passion of the servant, And then we're going to, last and not least, close out by the portion of the servant. So as we say goodbye to Exodus and make our way to Isaiah chapter 52, you could, in your mind, feel like this is the pinnacle of the book right here. How so? Well, there's a natural break between uh, chapter 52 verse 12 and chapter 52 verse 13. There's a natural break. So this is the pinnacle. But here's what I want you to write down. Here's what I want you to see. Isaiah wrote this letter 750 years before Jesus even came. 750. Can you imagine? He prophesied seven. Now, we can't even fathom that. We can't even fathom that. I mean, think about this. Could you imagine if I stood up here and said, I'm prophetic. I am going to tell you the score of the Super Bowl game. I will tell you who is playing, and I will tell you who will win, and I will tell you the score perfect. Every one of you would laugh at me. You'd be like... (laughs) It's still, We're still playing. We don't know. Now, some of you in here might think the Dallas Cowboys are going to the Super Bowl. I get that. <laughs> Others, I don't know what your team is, but you understand. You'd go, Ben, you're silly. Isaiah is preaching 750 years even before. So you, you could imagine. You could imagine. You could, hey, hey, Lawrence. Yes, sir? 750 years, a Messiah is going to come, the Savior of the world. Barnes so I was like, okay, I won't be around, but I believe you. Thumbs up, bro. More power to you. But no, 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 no. But those who live 750 years later go, oh, what? What? So 700 plus years prior to the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, writes on the scroll these words. As you and I look into the life of Jesus in detail, we see the fulfillment of this scripture, specifically the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus right here, okay? So first and foremost, let's talk about the sacrifice of the lamb, the sacrifice of the lamb. Picking it up together, guys, Isaiah 52 we're going to look at verse 13 because remember, there's a natural break. It starts off. He says, Behold, notice, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. His form, more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Your attention, please. This is, guys, the sacrifice, but the preeminence of the Lamb. Who who is the servant? He's talking about Jesus. So what does he see? Isaiah writes, Behold, my servant. Who is he talking about? Jesus shall deal prudently. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle prudently because it literally means successful 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 he goes on to say something very interesting my jesus jesus christ is going to be exalted and extolled and be very high that's what he says those check this out in fact those are almost the same words that isaiah uses way back in chapter six verse one In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I need your help here. Who's he talking about? Very good. I need your help. Who's he talking about? Right. Sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The high and lifted up are the exact same words in Hebrew. When Isaiah say, I saw the Lord, he was talking about the Meshach, the Messiah, the anointed one. And he says, he will be exalted and extolled and be lifted high. And of course, you and I both know that Jesus, our Messiah, shall be lifted and exalted. Now, I want you to put on your thinking caps. You go, okay. When was the first lifting of Yahshua, of Jesus? When was the first lifting? You go, oh... Let me tell you when it was. It was when he was nailed to a cross and lifted up. You go, wow. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 32? He says, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Now, what he wasn't talking about was he going, okay, you know, when when you win the football game and you throw or the, or you make the last second shot in the basketball game and they all lift you up and they carry you and you're like, hey, and it, that's not what it means. He goes, how am I going to draw all, how am I going to draw Joe Mabry to me in twenty or whatever year you gave your life to the Lord, nineteen thirteen, you know, whatever it might be, you know, just. If I don't give Joe a hard time, it's not a service. Amen. Amen. (laughs) He's like, amen. How is he going to do that? By being lifted up on the cross. By being lifted. You see, I, I mean, this is what he said. It started with the cross. And can you imagine if you were there in Israel and you were coming in for what? The Passover and there was Jesus lifted up. You'd walk by and, and it wasn't, some of our pictures here, you know, they have them below or they have them way up on a hill where it's like, who's that? Who died? You know, we couldn't see. No, he was he was very close, but he was lifted high. The Romans did that specifically so you could see who was lifted up and what their crime was. You know what Rome was saying? Don't mess with Rome. This is what you get. So you're walking then you've got your little ones Come on. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, daddy, what did he do? Um, It says he was king of the Jews. I don't know. Is that a crime? And so they moved on. This is where he says, I'm lifted up. I'm lifted up. But then he gets something very interesting. Look at verse 14. Guys, verse 14 says, just as many were astonished at you, so his visions." was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. In all gospel accounts, in all gospel accounts, guys, we discover something interesting. You go, what's that? Jesus was on the cross for six hours. From 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., something happened right at noon. Do you guys remember? Remember? Right at noon, the world became very dark. Very dark. And we know for the first three hours, from 9 to 12, there was taunting on the cross. The guys were taunting him. The people below were taunting him. Okay? You had two thieves on the cross. One of them, both of them at this point were going, Hey, you said you're the Messiah. Why don't you get down? What is wrong with you? Why don't you call it? You know, they're just mocking him. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't say a word. And then people down below, they're probably watching him. Well, this is the guy who was at our, this was, he was in Galilee. What? I don't understand. He, he said he would save us. He's not saving us. He's up on the cross. And they were taunting him and they were mocking him. And then right at noon, do you guys remember what happened? Right at noon, it got very dark and there was darkness, and then there was silence. You can imagine. You see, it was, uh, can you imagine, straight up noon, and here we are, and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> and I mean, it was an eerie dark. Most people are like, let's go, let's get out of it. This is weird. Why? Well, I don't, remember, I don't remember any of the news outlets predicting a solar eclipse, so I don't know what's going on. It's just dark. It's just dark. But what I find interesting is something that just jumped out of the text. I don't know if you saw it. It says, guys, that his appearance was marred more than any man. More than any man. You go, what does that mean? You ready? That Jesus, your Jesus, my Jesus, whom we love desperately and deeply, was unrecognizable on the cross. That's what it means. In other words, he didn't look like a man. He didn't look like... You see, we, we have our jewelry with the little cross and you have Jesus on there and and depending on what religion you grew up, you can still see there's a there's a statue of a cross of Jesus and, and he's got a cut here with a throne and maybe a stab here. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that his appearance... Like, like you walked by and went what happened who is that huh now a couple of things jump out right there right there you go what's that well the very first thing that my heart goes to is Mary Mary and you go why well I want you to think about Mary the mother of Jesus for just a second you go what do you mean well you guys know the story the reason they wanted to crucify him is he claimed to be god and mary says i got to tell you the story the story was the holy spirit came upon me impregnated me and i gave birth to the son of god and everybody mary seriously a little bit too much what what's going on you've been you know you, you've you been eating too many cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs kind of thing? Mary, this is weird, you know. No, no, no. See, I wasn't married to Joseph. We were betrothed, but, but, but it's the Holy Spirit. You go, that's where we get our Christmas. You guys know that, right? Born of a virgin. You're like, okay. Now, I think of Mary's heart. Because now her son... She gave birth to him. She, this little baby grew in her belly and if you're a mom in here, you know exactly what that's like. (gasps) And now here he is and it doesn't even look like her son. That would rip a mama's heart. So if Mary and Joseph were keeping secrets, And if there was a way to stop it, don't you think Mary, the mother of Jesus, would have said, No! Stop, 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 stop. I know he claims to be God's son, but I'll tell you who I was with. I'll tell you who I had. I'll tell you. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Please take him down. Any mom would do that. Any dad would do that, although Joseph probably wasn't there. You know what Mary does? (laughs) She just looks. Why? Because it's the truth. She can't say anything different. She, Mary, Mary, now's your chance. Get him down. I can't. It was the Holy Spirit. Because he's fully God and fully man. And it's like, <sighs> wow. The second thing that jumps out at me, guys, is found in Isaiah 50, verse 6. Jot that down if you don't want to go there. But notice what he says. He says, I gave my back to those who struck me. My cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from the shame and spinning. He's talking about Jesus. What did he say? First and foremost, you guys know what happened. With a cat of nine tails... They, they ripped, the, the cat of nine tails, guys, is so brutal and so gruesome. It had bone and it had glass and it had sharp rocks. And as it came across like that, it would just rip everything through. Rip everything through. And the hopes was they would start off really, not gentle, but they would start off with like, poof. Now, the Roman soldier's mindset was, let's try to kill him very quickly. Let's, let's kill him within the first ten lashes. And if you get past ten, then we start going a little bit harder. Thirty nine lashes. You know what happened to the body of Jesus. It swelled, it spilled, it was just, you couldn't, you didn't it was shredded, unrecognizable. That's what he says. And then they pulled out his beard. You guys know what ha- They put the crown of... You guys know what happens. You understand what happens when you get a little boo-boo on your finger. Your, your body reacts. It swells up. It tries to heal. It sends blood there. All of this stuff. And this, they try to take and destroy the body of my Savior Jesus. And he said, and And they pulled out my beard. Hold on, my I could not imagine just ripping that off and they spit on him and they kicked him and they beat him and they mocked him. I think of the prophetic psalm and written about Jesus in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this. You can read it, if you will, read it this week for homework, but this is, this is the psalm dealing with Jesus on the cross. I'm just gonna give you a few verses, but notice what he says in verse one. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Now, David's writing the psalm, but it's prophetic, and he says, verse six, I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised by the people. Can you imagine when Jesus was on the cross, people walking by and going, what did he do? Oh, he just claimed to be the son of God. Oh, he healed people. He fed people. Ha, not a problem. Really. It says in 7 and 8, it says, all those who see me ridicule me. They They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And they mocked him on the cross. Now again, we don't have time to go through the whole psalm, but read it this week. So Isaiah 50, verse 6 and 22, the scriptures tell us, guys, that he was Unrecognizable. And I could imagine you and your wife coming to Passover. You had seen him up in Galilee. You thought, wow. Now the Bible says that he wasn't a, a very handsome man. It wasn't one that was like, whoa. I mean, th- when the Bible talks about handsome, he'll talk about Saul of Tarsus. He'll, or he'll talk about not Saul, Saul, you know, um, early in the Old Testament. Whoa, he was head and shoulders about everybody else. He talk, but, it, but with Jesus, it was just a normal guy. It was so normal that Jesus, when they were going to throw him off the cliff in Nazareth, and he just kinda walked by because they didn't recognize him. He just said, Oh. So it wasn't like, oh. But 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 we saw him, honey. We saw him there in Galilee. He fed us and and yeah, I know what he looks like. And then you walk by and he goes, That's not him. No, baby, that's him. No, that's not him. I know what he looks like. No. Picture him with the beard. No. And you imagine the mindset. Now, I want you to jot this down. We're going to look at it in a few minutes, but jot this down. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs, okay? He carried our sorrows. Notice this. Yet we have seen him. These are three, three key words. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. By who? By God. By God. Stricken, okay? The word stricken has this connotation of being violently The word smitten means to kill when you smite somebody and afflicted. Three words. Keep that in mind. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Here it is. When Jesus was on the cross from 12 to 3, guys, the world became very dark. And man had already done its best to afflict him. The cat of nine tails, all of that Yet we see here that he was smitten by God and Jesus cries out at that time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know at that point that Jesus Christ took the sin of the world on him and from noon until three, God the Father judged our sin in those three hours of darkness. Every sin that you and I would ever commit or ever shall commit was on the body of Jesus. And here's what you need to know. There is no such thing as a small sin. This breaks our heart, doesn't it? Because when we, when we choose to, okay, there's something that when we sin, there's something called a transgression or a trespass okay a trespass is when you go oh I didn't realize this was the line I did it I'm sorry please forgive me but there's also something called an iniquity an iniquity is when you know it and still do it okay and so you got those three you got those three and so again think about this there's no such thing as a small sin because Jesus was saved violently for that sin you go well Ben I got a question why was there darkness I believe and it's just my opinion I believe that there was darkness from 12 to 3 because God the father didn't want to see what he was doing to his son he didn't want us to see that because it was not only my sin your sin It was the sin of the world. When it comes to salvation, church, we should be the rowdiest, happiest men, people ever. Why? Because he took every sin I've ever done, every sin I'm going to do, and even future sins that I don't want to do that I'll end up doing. I don't want to do that. I want to be free. But Jesus paid the price. And so when you go Are you saved? (laughs) Oh, yeah. We should be the most excited people in the whole world about the salvation of God. The reason the world doesn't rejoice, church, is because it doesn't understand it. It doesn't understand it. And the reason we stumble is because we get caught up in trying to do good works for that salvation. We don't do good works for the salvation. We do good works as a result of that salvation. So the pastor comes to you and goes, hey, I need help. You know what your response should be? Whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll do it. Hey, we need, we need, I'll do it. Well, don't you want to know what it is? No, Jesus saved me. Are you kidding me? He saved me from me. Save me me. I'll do anything for him. He's amazing. I'll do it. What do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? I'll do it. I'll do it. back in Isaiah 15 he says so he shall sprinkle the nation kings shall notice kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall see or they shall consider now think about this when he says that when he says that kings shall shut their mouth it's not that term like just shut your mouth it's not that you know what it means is do you remember when you first understood and the scales fell from your eyes you had nothing to say you had nothing to say I remember the time when Jesus shut my mouth. I truly grasped the good news, and the scales fell down, and I was speechless. Wow. Wow. If this is real, he's real. You see, ever since I was in school, ever since I was in kindergarten and in, in elementary, I was told, I was taught that there was this this big bang, and I was taught that things were, and that my ancestors were monkeys. I was taught that in elementary school. I got in a fight with my, my well, I got in a fight. We talked. My best friend was a Christian, and I hadn't been a Christian yet, and we got in a fight, and I was just, I was just, I was defending. That we all came from apes, and I was like, "Ooh, you good?" No, I wasn't. I'm kidding. But he's like, "No, we didn't. He was creation," and and I didn't understand that But what happened is when the scales fell, and I realized that God, <gasps> wow, this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. I'll tell you what: our mouths really shut when God changes our life. Does he not? What can you say? So who is this Jesus? Who is this person? Well, it goes on. Look, Keep going. Chapter 53, verse 1. Isaiah writes, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as the root out of the dry ground. He had no form or comeliness. There it is, guys. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Wow, what a description of Yahshua. What a description of Jesus. And I like what Isaiah says first and foremost. He goes, hey, who's going to believe our report about this Jesus? And you know what he says? Nobody. Nobody. Can I just tell you, in 2023, in 2024, nobody's gonna believe your report about Jesus. You're gonna share the good news and they'll go, yeah, (laughs) that's good for you, bud. If you need that crutch, and they're not gonna even wanna talk about it. We're getting to the place in our world where we're not talking anymore, we're arguing. And if you come up and you said, hey, I'm a believer, I stand with Israel, Jesus is my Messiah, blah, 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 you're gonna get into a fight. That's the world we live in. Nobody wants to hear Isaiah says, Hey, there's gonna be the report. Nobody's gonna believe a report. But that doesn't mean we don't we don't keep trying. Because I wonder, look at your look at your life. What if somebody would have stopped talking to you, preaching to you, walking with you, loving you? And you just said, No, I don't want to hear about it. There was a great Jesus movement in our city. And people were getting saved. I mean, hardcore, weird, crazy killer sniffers, you know, they were getting saved. And I was looking at them, and they were going, and and, and I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. But then somebody mentioned to me about tithing and that they were supposed to give 10% to the church. And so I took that, and I mocked my fellow friends for being saved. Oh, what about your money? He wants your money, da, da, da. I hadn't been saved yet. I hadn't been saved yet. I remember though, but it was weird because these are guys that would beat you up on the playground, now they're preaching to you and you're like, this is weird. But I'm going to stand in my my religion. I'm going to stand in where I was. Nobody's going to believe our report, but aren't you glad that you believed? Aren't you glad that you finally went and you started singing? I saw the light, I saw the... That's how you, you finally did. But something else jumps out so amazing. You go, what's that? Notice what he says. Who is believed our report? Notice. And to whom, notice, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Look at that in your Bibles. Underline that in your Bibles. Why? Because he's talking about the arm of the Lord. You go, okay, okay, I don't get it. The psalmist in Psalm 8 says something very interesting. Now I want you to keep this in mind, okay? You ready? Look at me. you got the arm of the Lord, and then you've got what the psalmist is going to say. you got the arm of the Lord, and then in Psalm 8, verse 3, it says this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your... What's that word? The work of your... What? Say it louder. Okay? When I consider your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained what is he saying he's saying that creation was done by the finger of god it's finger work god goes Mm -hmm. finger work when he created oh gosh when i think of the stars and all the creation he goes the psalmist goes man that's finger work for you god you're so powerful it's finger work But to save you and me, it was more than finger work. It was arm work. It was arm, the arm of the Lord. And anytime you see arm in scripture, it's dealing with power. And to save you and I, it was easier for him to, to create the worlds and the heavens and the cosmoses and everything else. But in order to save Ben, from his stubbornness and his pridefulness, man, it's going to take much, much more power. I'm going to have to become a man, walk this earth, live a sinless life, die for the, oh, wait a minute, that goes back to the Lamb of God. I'm going to have to die on the cross. I'm going to have to resurrect. Isaiah says, the arm of the Lord. Do you guys see that look at verse four now we're going to see now we're going to see the passion surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted okay you guys see that now I want you to see something in verse four the word bore there do you guys see that surely he is born the word born it means to get under to carry to carry okay what is he carrying? What is he what is he putting on his back to carry? Well the word grief, guys he born our griefs. the word griefs is sickness, sorrows and pain. sickness, sorrows and pain. So here's what I want you to do when you pray for healing for somebody, you pray Isaiah 53 verse 4 because this is truth. Lord, we come before you. Isaiah says, you've borne our sicknesses. You've borne our pains. This is what you did. Now you go, Pastor, what's your point? Most people, when you talk to them, will point out verse 5 that deals with physical healings. He'll say, He'll say no, 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 it's verse 5. For he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our nexus, and his chest by, and by his stripes we were healed. They look at the word healed. But if you're going to pray for healing, it's actually verse 4. He carried your sickness. He carried your sickness. But it also says in verse 5, And he was wounded, notice, for our transgression. He was, what's that word, guys? Bruised, do you see it? Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah had no clue 7 and 150 years later that the Romans would discover scourging by his, by his stripes. But i got to share this, because something jumps out of the text so wonderful. It says that Jesus was wounded. Everybody say Wounded. He was wounded for transgressions. You go, what does that mean? Do you guys remember what a transgression is? It means that there's the line, you don't know it's a sin, and you cross over. Oh, I didn't realize this, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then you get back over. Lord, I'm sorry. Do you guys ever remember when you realized that something was a sin that you didn't realize was a sin before, but it is a sin, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord? It's when you trespass on somebody's property. It says, don't step on the grass. What's the first thing you want to do? Step on the grass. (laughs) that's a trespass you trespassed but iniquity iniquity is where there you go it's in your heart why because you know the word of god says this i know about it lord but send us fun for a season come on somebody uh i'm gonna should i do it should i do it god will forgive me and we just jump in don't we But where does it start? It's internally. Now, 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 now. jump back here. Okay, ooh, this is so good. Why? Because he was wounded. Do you guys know what a wound is? A wound is something on the outside. It's something on the outside. He was wounded. He was beaten for our outward sins. Oh, but there's more. What is that? Do you guys know what a bruise is? A bruise happens on the inside, doesn't it? When you get a wound, it opens up and blood comes out. When you get a um, when you get a bruise, what happens? It stays on the inside. And you go, "How'd you get that bruise?" Oh, well, I hit my arm, but nothing happened. I just I kind of hurt it. Next thing you know, you have a giant bruise. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? But notice what he says. He says he was wounded for our transgressions, but inside, Oh, he was bruised. For our iniquity, our inward sins, our thoughts, our emotions. What does that mean? My Jesus, the whole package. He says, I'm not just going to save you on the outside and hope that your thought life is good. He goes, I know who you are, and I'm going to save the whole of you. The whole of you. Why? Because one day, I'm going to stop breathing, my heart's going to stop. In this body, you're going to put in the ground. So what do I do with my spirit? It's got to do something. It's got to be healed. How is it going to be healed? The only way it's healed, church, is by being born again. And so when I'm born again, I'm covered by the blood and I get to go be with Jesus. So you're like, oh, that makes total sense. Total sense we got to hurry. Verse 6. We notice all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, that's so interesting, isn't it? I've been a Christian since I was two years old and I followed Jesus. No, the Bible says that all of us have gone astray from time to time. Aren't we like sheep? Aren't we not sheep? Give me a bat if you're a sheep. No, don't do that. <laughs> nah. No, I'll tell you why. Because sheep are dumb aren't we dumb you know that a sheep will eat grass until it eats dirt and then it'll keep eating dirt until it dies that's why he needs a shepherd but sheep are dumb come on come on somebody have you ever been found yourself somewhere and you're like how did i get here boy this is dumb you just you're just like eh, eh, eh. and then you're over here and everybody's over there and you're like oh how did i get here Oh, I thought the grass was greener here. Eh, you know, you just have... But, it, but he says this. Notice, he says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Good place for an amen. amen. He was opposed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as the sheep before... His shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And he will declare his generation. For he was cut off from the land of the living. What does that word cut off mean? It means he was crucified. He was killed. He was cut off. For, why did he die? Everybody say, why did he die? Did he die? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Listen, contrary to what people tell you, Jesus didn't have a rich home. He didn't have a lot of money. Do you realize that once, when he was done with crucifixion, do you realize what they did with the with the, the two, what they were going to do? They would take their body and throw him into a common grave. Just... And flies and, and all that. That's what. And so basically, he's like, "Listen, they're going to bury him with with all the unknowns." But it wasn't until Joseph of Arimathea, who was rich, came and said, "No, no, no, I'll I'll put him in my tomb. We'll give him a proper burial." Isaiah seven hundred and fifty years was going. Look, this is going to happen. You would think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests would go. Open the eyes of my heart. This is Yahweh. This is Messiah. This is him. This is whom Isaiah taught. You know what they didn't? They got so prideful that they were like. And, and the point is, we don't want religion. We don't want to be so religious, guys, that we're blinded to the salvation of God. We want a relationship with Jesus. With Jesus. Jesus. Well, what's God's response? What's found in the the satisfaction of the lamb, verses 10 through 12. Here's the portion of the servant. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. If you're a parent in here and you ever had to discipline your children, I pray that ne- not one of you was, was happy. I mean, it's like, we're never happy about it. Oh boy, I get to spank you. Come here. It's What do we say? You're, as a parent, are thinking for the greater good. So what do you do? You discipline your children because you want them to grow up and be What? Productive members of society. You want to have a relationship with them. So you'll take the time to spank them. You'll take the time to discipline them. You'll take the time to say no. You'll take all of this time. But notice the text. The text says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why would it? I'm thinking of God the Father going, okay, I'm pleased that this is going to happen because he knew that was the only way that you and I could be saved. And so he says, for the greater good. Now, we need to be careful with that term, okay? Because the the enemy is using it now and will use it in the tribulation. For the greater good, you need to take the mark. For the greater good, you need to... That's what they're going to say, so be careful. But really, for the greatest good of salvation, what happened? He says, I'm going I'm to pour all of everything on my son because of you. But he says something interesting. Notice. He shall prolong his days. Do you guys see that in your Bibles? Here's what you can write. This is a direct reference to the resurrection. He says he's going to resurrect. He's going to be alive. 750 years before Jesus was even born. Isaiah says he's going to die. He's going to look like this. And he's going to be buried. And then he's going to resurrect. He's going to resurrect. Verse 11. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my serv- my righteous servant shall justify many. Can I get an amen? amen. Why? We're the many. Look at somebody and say, I'm the, I'm the many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Listen. You ready? I want you to jot this down. This is important. The price for sin was paid in full. Paid in full. The price for sin. It's paid. It's paid. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured his he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. Wow. That's close. You ready? John the baptizer, getting to see Yahshua face to face, sees him one day, looks at him, and he says, Hey, listen, listen. Behold. Hey, look up, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what we should do when we hear that statement is fall down on our face and worship the king. We should worship worship him. Wow. Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for, wow, just how explosive your word is to us. And we just love you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you for technology. I thank you for podcast. I thank you for radio. And I thank you for these precious people here. I pray your Holy Spirit would do a work no matter who's listening because Lord, I am blown away that Isaiah prophesied to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and I submit and surrender my life to you, Lord, always. But Lord Jesus, there might be somebody here that you were talking to during the service whose heart is far from you right now. And Lord, you're looking down from heaven saying, I want as many people in heaven with me as possible. If they would just repent... And put their faith and trust in me. And I would say repent from what Lord? And repent from unbelief first and foremost. Because belief changes behavior. And so we have to repent from unbelief. So with every eye closed and every head bowed. I never want to leave a Bible study. Without giving you an opportunity. To completely and wholeheartedly surrender to Jesus. You know, Pastor Ben, there's a small group tonight. I mean, it doesn't matter. There's people who watch this later on. There's people who, and, and, and God might be doing a work in your heart today. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, those of you watching online, those of you listening via podcast, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart or maybe you've walked away, maybe you're like a sheep and you're, you've wandered off And now by the sound of my voice, you realize I've wandered off. I need to come home. Well, The Lord Jesus is standing with his arms open wide and he's saying, please come home. Please come home. If that's you today and God was speaking to you, will you do me a favor? Well, what's that, Pastor? Would you just simply lift up your hand? Well, why do I have to lift up my hand? I want God to see your heart. But what you're saying to the Lord is that I'm ready to surrender. And part of surrendering is lifting up our hands. So if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to do that today, would you just lift up your hand? God bless you, brother. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else God is speaking to? You're saying, man, I've walked away. I've found myself ah, somewhere else and I'm wanting to come home. Would you just lift up? I'll pray for you. I'm just going to pray for you. I see you. I see you, brother, to my right. Good move. Good move. Anybody else? If you're watching online, just just where you're at, God sees your heart. Father, I pray for this young, these young men and this young lady who, who lifted up her hand today and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, Lord, come into their heart, Lord, believe that they would just truly believe today, no matter what. That they would pray something like this, Jesus, your word tells me that I need to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth and so I confess That Jesus Christ is Lord. He died on the cross for me. He was buried and he rose again. Isaiah said it, I believe it. And now, Lord, I'm asking for help. I'm asking you to come into my heart, be my Lord, be my God, be my Savior, and be my friend. I choose to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. We're so blessed, so blessed. If you prayed that prayer, will you let somebody know? Would you just say, hey, I prayed that. We'll pray with you. We give, I think we have a Bible. I'm not sure if we have them anymore. We're, they're on order. But God bless you guys. Let me pray. Let me pray. Let me bless you. And then Talia will close us out. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace and hope.